Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on the Cypress Creek EMS podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Beasley. I'm an EMT here as well as a paramedic student, and I'm joined today by Samuel Kordick, Lynn Singleton, and Megan Spearman. Hi, my name is Megan Spearman. I am a in-charge paramedic here at Cypress Creek. I'm also an FTO, a station captain, and adjunct paramedic faculty for the paramedic class. And I'm Lynn Singleton. I'm a field supervisor here at Cypress Creek EMS, currently working with the clinical department. And I'm Samuel Kordick. I'm the clinical director here at Cypress Creek EMS. And we are very excited about this episode. So we've been working on this content for a while, and we really wanted to revisit the topic of mental health. Uh, we kind of prefaced it with one of our much earlier podcasts talking about resiliency. But seeing that we're in a very different kind of disaster, we know that mental health is going to be impacted quite a bit. And we kind of wanted to talk about the different factors involved and what you could be doing now, what you can be doing later, uh, and what that could look like for you and your partner, um, your crew, our department, our company. It's different for everyone. So I'd like to start by talking about uh, some contributing factors as to why this is such a big deal for us. Um, it is a pandemic and, and that's stressful in and of itself, but why is it impacting the people that we work with, people on ambulances? Uh, and a few things to take into account is that as a first responder, there are people looking to you and not just your family and friends and neighbors, but your patients. And so your exposure to fear and panic and questions and confusion might be more than the average Joe. And that I think can really affect how you feel. You know, since you're having all of that input all the time, it can be exhausting. And it's not just people that are scared and upset. It can be also the other side, you know, the people that are cranky and they don't think that the pandemic is real or Maybe they've consumed quite a few conspiracy theories and they like communicating and talking about those constantly. Uh, maybe they don't understand why we've been asked to socially distance or why we can't go out and about and do the things that we normally do. And having just that larger influx of input, more people talking to you, more conversations can be very exhausting. You know, one of the things that some of my family members have brought up is that you can't escape COVID right now. And they're not in healthcare and they're saying that. And for us, I think that's even more so. We go to work and it's COVID all day long and it's something we're exposed to and we're thinking about all day long. Even if the majority of our patients on a shift are not COVID patients, it's still something that's in the back of your mind throughout the shift. Then you go home and everybody wants to talk to you about COVID. And that constant exposure is a contributing factor during this time. I think that one of my big frustrations is I think people don't necessarily want to talk with you about it. They want to talk at you about it. They want to tell oh, yeah. you the the secrets of the world that they have found through their deep dive into YouTube. And that is more than a little bit frustrating. There's a common meme I'm seeing in various forms on Twitter that everybody is an epidemiologist. <laughs> I'm really glad I'm not an epidemiologist right now. They've got a really hard job. But I think you're right. Um, you know, if, if we're having a hard time sorting through all of the information and data, um, 
other people are very overwhelmed and they're only getting, you know, the stuff they choose to look at. They're looking at a limited data set, if you will. The other contributing factor, I think, for us with our stress level during this crisis is all the extra steps that we're having to take just to do our jobs. And that is all the PPE. That's all the extra masks. That's all the extra steps you're having to take. The extra barriers to entry into a hospital, the changes in treatment, all of that extra stuff that we're having to think about constantly and that is ever present even on routine low stress calls elevates that stress level a little bit. Yeah, um, I think it's a totally different mindset when you're on the truck. In addition to the PPE, you have to make sure if you have a COVID symptom patient or not, okay, I'm not trying to touch a bunch of things in the back of the truck. I'm not trying to unnecessarily get up out of my seatbelt and move seats. I just want to stay in one seat. And then afterwards, I've always been a relatively good person about cleaning the truck, making sure I wipe everything down. But now it is almost exhausting. Like when it's three o'clock in the morning, I am incredibly tired and I have to sit here and make sure that I fully wipe down all of the seatbelts, every nook and cranny of the stretcher. Yes, it is completely, completely mentally exhausting. And then making sure that you always have the correct mask on. And when you're changing from a surgical mask to a N95, that you properly wash your hands with hand sanitizer before and after you touch everything. It is just absolutely daunting, especially when it's with a critical patient where normally your focus would be on, I need to do X, Y, and Z to care for this patient. Now it's kind of jumbled and it's a little bit slower of a process than it normally is, which I think totally throws a lot of us that felt comfortable comfortable enough in our roles, totally just throws us for a loop. That's a really good point. I It almost sounds like you're feeling a little bit fractured. You know, there's two different feelings now, whereas typically while we are making sure that our crew is safe and that the scene is safe and that we're going to go home, most of the focus is on patient care Mm -hmm. and the facilitation to the hospital, you know, making the next step. And now it's kind of confusing. You know, I have to take care of myself and my health before I take care of you and finding that balance has got to be difficult. One of the factors I think about is, Uh, I go back to my very first year as a paramedic and how stressful even low acuity mundane calls were because I hadn't done it before. Oh, yeah. And then I got the habits and I'm realizing now it was the routine. It was habits. It was experience that made me comfortable. And now we're interrupting all of those habits Mm -hmm. and the normal way that we do things is being thrown out the window for every call. And so for a lot of our folks who have those years and years of habits ingrained, now they're back to square one trying to figure out the habit again and having to think about stuff more that previously was just automatic. We've had quite a few people mention that it feels like they're just, their brains are exploding or they feel fuzzy, you know, because of that cognitive load that they're working with, you know, instead of being able to do some things inherently, you know, I can open a start pack and I can start an IV without thinking about it. But now if I'm trying to reduce exposure and I'm trying to be cleaner and I'm trying to be more organized and I'm only trying to do the minimal amount of interventions possible, then that changes everything. I have to think about it. Whereas mm-hmm. before I didn't have to. Well, I think all of that is going to definitely contribute towards um, people starting to get a little burnt out. Um, and I know we have some different signs that we wanted to talk about from that. And I actually had a question leading into that. 
We talk about burnout and we talk about stress, but what's the difference between the two? I think more so than a difference, there's the one may kind of lead to the other. Yeah, I agree with Stephen. That's what I was going to say. Stress causes the burnout. Well, and burnout can also cause stress if you acknowledge that you're burned out. I think stress can also be very temporary and burnout tends to be not a short event. You're not burnt out one day and then not burnt out the next. It's something that lasts, that needs to be processed and dealt through. Um, It's not usually, you know, kind of a, a cliff that you fall off of. It's something that is built over time and then you become, quote unquote, burnt out, whatever that looks like. So it almost sounds like it's an accumulation of that stress over time, getting to a point where it's just too much. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those words. <laughs> but a couple of the um, the signs that maybe you might not consider to be stress or burnout, some of the things that I know when I was doing my research, it was like, oh, man, I've definitely had some of these before. And I don't know that I recognized them as stress and burnout, stress or burnout in myself. Um, and I'll talk about, um, a few of the physical signs first, um, you know, feeling different than you typically do. There's, um, some hallmark signs, you know, some palpitations or feeling anxious and not able to relax. Um, a lot of it has to do with sleep. I know myself during this event, I am having the hardest time getting rest, not trouble falling asleep, but trouble staying asleep or feeling like my sleep was high quality. Uh, which is never a problem for me. Typically, I can sleep at the drop of a hat. Uh, Some other things uh, might be headaches or just feeling tense. Yeah, I think that's the hypervigilance that we had spoke about earlier, where it's just trying to shut off, just trying to to stop worrying about what's the next thing that's going to happen. And you can't because you're on all the time because you're having to think. And physiologically, this looks like that increased sympathetic tone. So if you're thinking back to paramedic class, or if you're in paramedic class right now, that increased sympathetic activation from your adrenal glands constantly running is what's characterizing the stress response and characterizing burnout as well as you are constantly on, constantly in this heightened state of arousal of awareness. And that's reflected in the signs in your heart from palpitations and in your head from not being able to sleep and from not being able to even relax. Yeah. And it's not just physically, um, you know, stress can show itself a lot of other ways. Um, our moods are definitely, um, illustrated through that. Um, especially if it's an atypical feeling for you, uh, feeling angry or frustrated, um, irritability, sadness are all some things that you might you might notice if you're stressed or burnt out. One of the common things that I see in reading about burnout and, and, and watching people who are burned out is that difficulty connecting with others and maintaining those relationships. And it's either a, a voluntary isolation or you end up isolating just because you have trouble being nice. And it's not something inherent to you. It's just something that that part of your brain is not working. I think a big part of of all of these signs that we're discussing um, is that you need to make sure, especially like with your partner or with your family that, that you're watching for these things. Um, Cause usually we're not going to see them. It's not going to be something that we think of, um, but you can see it in your partner. 
And that's where these conversations really start, I think. That's a really good point, Stephen. I know James and I, my husband James and I have talked about um, some warning signs. And I know after Hurricane Harvey, I used to get really, really stressed out when my kids wanted something very mundane and something that felt really unimportant to me. You know, they were upset about missing a play date or not having, you know, the right fruit juice or whatever. And I would get so blisteringly angry because that felt so unimportant to me. How dare you bother me about fruit juice when people have died? And that's a big warning sign for our family. If you start to get irritated at things that you wouldn't typically be irritated by. One of the things that that can lead to in our work life is compassion fatigue. And uh, that's a word that we throw around, but I don't know that we've really got a good understanding or definition of it. Yeah, I I find compassion fatigue hard to explain, except that you might recognize it when you see it. You know, when you find that the patient that you typically would go the extra mile for and and take care of that grandmother or um, understand that that's a a real need for 911 when all of a sudden you don't feel that way. And maybe it doesn't feel like an emergency, even though they're very sick. And, and just feeling like you can't, you can't feel like it's important. I think it's that when you get that call that you, you're pretty sure that it didn't need to be a 911 call and it's, you know, immediately following a full arrest or something. And you're like, it's that mental check of yourself where you're like, no, (laughs) I know that this may not feel like an emergency to me, but it may be an emergency to them. I need to take a second. (laughs) Like I need to check myself. You know, don't you and uh, Sherry have kind of a, a check for that, Stephen? You guys check in with each other on on how to treat patients before a call. We do. Um, and I mean, we we also regularly check in on each other. Um, Sherry's just an awesome partner. I so messaged me yesterday. I think actually I messaged her yesterday. I was just like, hey, partner. And just checking in. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, we'll get there and we're like, OK. I know how I feel about this 3 a.m. <laughs> but I'm we're gonna, going to be appropriate. Yeah. Oh, I miss Sherry. It's like, I'm going to this. We're going to do this the right way. Right. Not just because there's a camera, but because it's the right thing to do. Um, and that's the big thing that and the we're only allowed to say yay when we're dispatched to a call. That's my favorite. <laughs> I like the yay. It's a good time. I need to adopt that. Sometimes it's a more angry yay, but it's still a yay. Yay, yay through gritted teeth. Yep. (laughs) I do think compassion fatigue is easier to see in your partner than in yourself. Absolutely. After Hurricane Harvey, Destiny Petty was my partner and she 100% picked up on it. She's like, hey, you doing okay? Because you were a lot more, I guess you would say my fuse was a lot shorter. Normally I'm a very patient person. Okay, you want to go to the hospital? I'll take you. But it was a lot less of a, okay, let me cater to your every need on the scene or at the call and it was much more of a okay let's get in the truck let's go to the hospital we're not taking you how about we go to the closest hospital you know we're less than half a mile from no pillow for you yeah no blanket for you (laughs) um and so that kind of opened my eyes to hey maybe i need to go do some things like on my days off or i had some pto and we weren't at crisis level staffing hey i think i'm gonna take a couple days off and uh do some self-care I'm really glad you brought and that up, And distance myself from 
thinking about work whatsoever. Yeah, I I think a lot of times where we as a whole, you know, EMS providers are not really good about taking time off when we have time off. And I, I don't mean taking paid time off and scheduling it. I mean, your days off, your weekends, if you will, you know, the three days after your 24 hour shift. What does that look like for you? You know, have you gone home and rested and de-stressed? Have you done something you enjoy? Or are you sometimes jumping into the next project or trying to get all the errands done as soon as you get off? I know I've definitely done that and regretted it. There's a a gentleman named Dr. Godby that I will paraphrase his quote. Thank you. But Mm -hmm. he he says, when you go home, go the heck home. Um, He says it with a little more gusto, but uh, it's true. It's, it's go home and actually organize that time off so that you know that you're not making mistakes that I make and building an entire fence in between shifts or starting a project. My wife is great about looking at me and being like, we're not doing a project this weekend. Do you understand <laughs> me? Like, say my words. Okay, we're not Repeat doing a project. Me. Yeah. The priority is being intentional about how you're designing that time off to make sure that it is restful and rejuvenating. And if you need sleep, then that's catching up on sleep. If it means you need to be outdoors away from people entirely, get outdoors away from people entirely. And you can do that right now. It's encouraged, actually. If that means that you need to do something totally unrelated to medicine, which could be a project, but you're doing it to rejuvenate yourself, then you do that. And so for some folks that might look like gardening or woodworking or something like that, And if that's the goal of that activity is to rejuvenate, to take care of your soul, then that's great. If it becomes another checklist and another to-do project, then that can start becoming a problem because you're never giving yourself a break. Exactly. And I think whenever you make that mindful checklist, if you've had a really bad shift, maybe don't make the task that you want to do that day weed eating around your entire pond if you know it's going to frustrate you and be really like labor intensive maybe do something like going fishing or just going for a walk outside or doing something you enjoy that you know won't stress you out even more maybe something you can be really successful at correct are you speaking from something experience? that's an easy win yeah. <laughs> no definitely not i loved weed eating around the pond it was great There's a bunch of other ways that you can kind of mitigate your stress and and kind of dial it back. And we talked about a lot of them. Well, Samuel talked about a lot of them in the resiliency episode. So we're not going to go through every single one um, in the interest of time. So I really encourage you to check that podcast out. And after talking about mitigation, Samuel, would you kind of touch on what happens when we don't mitigate or maybe we're unable to mitigate? You know, the stress becomes too much or the emergency has gone on too long or we've reached that point where we just can't anymore or we can't as well. Yeah, the goal of the mitigation is to avoid getting to that point. It's enabling us to be resilient, to be able to handle those stressors and not let it overwhelm us. But at times that stress will exceed what our mitigation does or maybe we'll we'll miss some stuff. And we get to that point where we start having these signs that we were talking about, the physical signs and the the social, emotional issues, compassion fatigue, um, even some of the the behavior or uh, confusion. There's there's behavior changes that you might see in your partner, probably 
not be aware of them yourself potentially, but things like um, excess risk taking. And then at that point, you, you kind of hit your breaking point. And even small things can become huge stressors. I'd like to talk about that a little bit more because I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, like Samuel said, you know, that breaking point where you get to where you can't manage anymore. The reason that that happens is because when we're in the midst of an emergency is we're taking care of the emergency and we're acting and we can't feel sometimes in those moments, you know, you have to manage the emergency in front of you. And we're really good at that. You know, we're good at managing those gnarly traumas or those sick kids or, or people that are dying. And we can't feel in those moments. I can't think about how you're somebody's child because I have to work on things. I can't. I will later, but I can't right this second. And what does that look like? You know, what happens when you're past the emergency or you're past that point? How do you manage? I think that a lot of people get stuck in the compartmentalization part of it and don't realize that the other step there is that sometimes you have to open that compartment um, and you have to kind of, you have to face those demons. Um, and it's finding that outlet that is healthy. Um, that's not necessarily just a bottle and, and being able to process those things because there are many aspects of this job that for lack of a better word, just suck. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes you, you need to process that you need to digest it so that you can move forward. I think the most important step in this is to recognize when you're at that point and that mental switch of recognizing, Hey, I'm burned out. That can begin the process of recovery, of restoration, of healing and handling those stress issues. When you're in that, that point of burnout and you're experiencing or you're demonstrating all those signs and those things that we, we talked about earlier, when you're in that, it's very easy to feel like you don't have control and this is happening to you and it just sucks. And it's very easy to, to lose the sense of agency, the sense of I can control my destiny. I can make choices. And snapping out of that is key to being able to make any forward progress. When you recognize that you can control it, it doesn't change the fact that it probably sucks. It doesn't change the fact that it's going to suck for a while and it's going to take time to re to get back to a, a healthy place in your head and in your emotions. But recognizing that you're in control and taking ownership of that is that first initial key step. I think that process looks different for everybody too. I know for myself, I'm a long thinker. I tell almost everybody that meets me that or somebody that I have a relationship with because I don't respond to things right away. I take a long time to think. I take a long time to write out my thoughts sometimes. Um, I am I cannot make witty comebacks. It's just not going to happen. I am not blessed in that way. That's what they have me here for. That's what we have I feel you your here pain for, one. Stephen. Yeah, I just, like two I'm hours later, funny. I'm like, oh, that would have been a great thing to say. Yeah, not, after I replay the conversation. Not funny. Like the, the shower comeback. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Correct. <laughs> so I take a long time um, and everybody processes differently. There are people that would prefer to kind of dig through all of that mess right away. And there's people that take a long time to process their the response to crisis. Um, and I think we're kind of talking about two different concepts at the same time. We're talking about 
you know, the boiling point, like when you reach that spot where you can't manage or mitigate anymore. Um, and then we're also talking about what it looks like at the end of an emergency and when, when the crisis is over, when the disaster ends and this pandemic is super different, you know, mm -hmm. it's not like a hurricane where, you know, it's coming and it's going to be awful, but it's not going to last because it's not capable of doing that. It's going to spin out. It's going to run out of power. Uh, there's only so much it can do. The pandemic's different. It's really long. I think that that is one of the things that I am a little nervous about is the the refractory period after all of this. Um, it's the the getting back to what our normal is. Um, and I don't know what it looks like. And I've had more than a few people ask me what it looks like. And I don't know that anyone really does. No. Know what it, yeah, I agree. After a, a hurricane, there's a pretty predictable process for anybody who's been involved in that disaster response where you've been going, 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 running on adrenaline. And there's this totally predictable parasympathetic dump where everything just stops. And I remember for me, it looked like, you know, sleeping for hours and hours longer than I normally did and just having zero energy. And I was told ahead of time, hey, this is going to happen. And it happened. We were talking about that actually before you got here, Samuel. We were talking about how organizations now are planning for that period after an emergency, after a crisis, because so much is happening to providers in that little period right after it's over. And I remember my experience in Harvey too, um, driving home. I'd been at work for a long time and it didn't seem like hard work at the time. I mean, it seemed stressful, but it, you know, we were all managing and, and processing and we stopped to get a salad my husband and I at Salada and I fell asleep in the parking lot. I didn't even make it inside and he had to drive me home. I, I hit a wall right there. I don't think I even ate that salad. The proverbial wall. She the proverbial <laughs> wall. Correct. I, I did, did park the vehicle before I fell asleep. Clarify. I think that the, the military does a great job of this. And I think that that's where a lot of these places are getting some of these things. Um, in the, the demobilization process, um, it's a typically a couple weeks long process. And part of it is, um, you know, other than the, the physical checks and everything else, you also go through mental health checks. Um, and I think that that is something that has historically been missing from EMS. Um, and I'm honestly excited to see it in EMS now, because I think that it is going to change, um, especially the burnout rate. Um, I think that it is really going to be, something that is progressive that I'm excited for personally. I think with the, the length of this pandemic and the duration of this elevated stress level, it's going to look like a long period for us to recover and rejuvenate and rest. And it's not going to be a clear endpoint either. We're going to see this pandemic scale down over time. It's going to be a long, slow decline in cases and we're going to slowly get back to normal. And there's not going to be a single day where we can be like, hey, it's over. Yeah, I don't think the normal is going to be normal anymore. It's going to be a new normal. As as kitschy as that sounds, I think it's going to be different. Um, and we don't know exactly what that will look like. And with that in mind, it's it's absolutely critical for us to start addressing that stress level and even the burnout, if you're experiencing that or if your partner's experiencing that, it's critical to address that starting now. 
so that we're not waiting for that endpoint to fix things and just pushing through the pain. We need to deal with that stuff now and start putting in the, the right things right now to be resilient. So what are some of the things that we can be doing to handle the elevated stress right now? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to start with drastic first because that's what worked well for me. Um, I'm a big proponent of therapy, whatever that looks like for you. You know, it can be individual, it can be group. It doesn't even have to be organized. You know, it could be that you have a person that you talk to, that you process through stuff with. Um, my husband and I both work in public safety, which is helpful. Um, but sometimes it's also healthy to talk to somebody outside of your family. Um, he and I have both gone through therapy at different times, and it's been immensely helpful for processing. Even if it's somebody else just acknowledging that what you had to do was awful and that it's okay that it was awful and that you felt awful about it. And then you can kind of move on and accept that things will be different now, but that you can still adjust and move on. I think with, you know, going back to my partner, Sherry, um, sometimes we'll call each other on the way home from shift. Um, and it, it, sometimes the conversation looks like, you know, man, that call, like Blech. that was garbage. Like, I think next shift, maybe we should like, maybe do something right. Um, <laughs> I can hear Sherry saying that. And yeah. It's, it's yeah. certain tone of voice too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And um it it's just invaluable the the having the person to check in with to be a like, safe person. Yes. Yeah. That you know is I mean they're going to pass a little bit of judgment. But <laughs> they're they're going to pass judgment but in the right way. But you're ways. there for it, right? Yeah. Exactly. I put together some resources uh for this podcast. I'm really excited. I dug and scoured and called and and really wanted to find some things so that we had some resources to refer people to if they wanted it. And it looks different in a lot of ways. There's um, a crisis text line that's um, for first responders where you can text back and forth. There's no phone calls involved. Uh, there's also online Zoom meetings right now for first responders. It's like a peer support group. And I attended one. It was amazing to get to talk to people all over the country dealing with the COVID crisis and what that looks like for them and what it looks like for me. And we could all kind of collectively go, you know, this is not my favorite. <laughs> and then kind of, you know, talk about what it was going to look like in the future. Yeah. And then uh, there's, of course, um, in-person therapy, if that's what you would prefer. There's a place up in Conroe that specifically deals with first responders. And they also have a weekly talk group that I attended um, in preparation for this talk. And so neat to have, uh, you know, people just like me in EMS, police and the military come together and say, you know, right now is not is not fun. Um, and here's some things that I'm dealing with. We were kind of able to process through that together. One of the things that I find very helpful in the same line in terms of processing what I've experienced and processing my stress is journaling, because sometimes there is nobody available right then to talk to or you don't feel comfortable opening up and talking with people and journaling it as a way to process those emotions and to process your thoughts and what you're feeling, I find to be incredibly valuable. That's super helpful. Uh, sometimes I don't know how I feel about something until I really think about it. For me, if I'm in that, that spot and I sit down with my journal and I'll write and by the end of the page, 
I know how I feel about it. I know what my feelings are. I know what my thinking is. And I usually feel a whole lot better. Just the act of pen to paper and thinking is huge. What are some other things that we can do on our own if we're not wanting to engage with other folks for therapy or talk to other folks? Are there other resources or ideas to help process these things? I know when I looked into this, there's a lot of things that people recommend is kind of getting back to nature, exercise, um, a lot of the things that we did talk about earlier um, in that other podcast. But podcast, <laughs> I said that weird, sorry. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just kind of thinking through it in, in your own space. I actually wanted to talk about something, um, if we have time, um, this uh, concept that I learned about recently that is amazing. And it was super encouraging to me in this time to to think about what good could come from this. Um, and, and not in a sense of reducing the value of what you were doing that's hard and awful. I'm, I'm not trying to diminish that. But to recognize that we will come through on the other side. It, this concept I heard about on Medic Mindset, it's a really great podcast episode that's really short and we'll link it in the show notes. But uh, it talks about a concept called anti-fragile. And it's thinking about when something hard happens, when a crisis happens or an emergency happens, that not only will you be resilient and bounce back, but that you will become stronger. And I've seen that in my life, and I'm really glad that I've got a name for it now. But the more disasters I go through or the longer I'm in EMS, I've learned something from each of these awful situations. And I've learned better how to cope. And I've learned better how to help other people. And I'm really thankful for that growth. I think the, the concept of anti-fragile is a really good one. And I really love how Ginger on Medic Mindset um, applied that to our world to EMS. And there's a great link in the, the show notes for a blog post about this and to that, uh, that podcast episode, which I would definitely encourage you to listen to. Um, the idea here is we all know people who are fragile and people who are fragile don't typically end up in EMS or stay in EMS very long. Uh, those are folks who just can't handle a lot of the change or a lot of stress. We talk a lot about resiliency and resiliency is the idea of being able to handle the stress and, and it not really shaking you. And a lot of us, in fact, have, have kind of tried to strive for that where we're just even keeled and good things, bad things doesn't really changes were unflappable. The concept of anti-fragile is that actually when there's change and when there's stress, we get better, but you're stronger as a result. And it's a, it's a concept that comes out of, um, a lot of different places. It comes at from looking at e economics and from financial trading, uh, but also in science. And there's examples in, um, ge geology and, and biology for this. And the way Ginger applies it to EMS is that we have this stress, we have this change, and if we take the right approach, we can come out of that as better clinicians and better human beings as a result of the stress. It's almost like being super resilient. One thing that I totally meant to mention much earlier is 
one thing that could help you with this is being armed with the right information and having an education on what's going on, you know, um, being able to speak about it knowledgeably without being overwhelmed with the information. And that does take work. You know, you have to sift through the info and heaven knows that social media is a garbage fire right now. It's a nightmare. So you have to really look for some good sources. But if, if you come to work right now and you know what you're up against, you know what it's going to look like, you know what those patients are going to look like, and you know what you're going to do for them. I know we've thrown a ton of changes at our crews. And if you're informed and you know what steps you can take for each different kind of patient, then your stress level may go down and you're going to be able to treat people better. Along with that is the idea of watching what you're taking in for information because like Lynn said, the social media can be really negative at baseline. And right now it can be incredibly aggravating uh, depending on what your hot buttons are. I guarantee you Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, social media, Pick will your poison. put those <laughs> hot buttons in front of you. And I'm pretty sure it's intentional um, and it can really get you fired up very quickly. There's a couple examples in history uh, that were super encouraging to me. Um, other horrible experiences that have happened to humanity. Um, the Blitz during World War II was extremely stressful for a really long time. Nightly bombings over London. And the, the people of England came through that. And the predicted increase in mental health problems was not as high as predicted. People truly rebounded. And we're able to go forth and, and rebuild the economy and move forward. And also 9-11. Look how far we've come since then. Um, an awful, horrible thing happened. And we came back stronger than ever. I think there's two things to take away from these examples. And, and not to downplay, this pandemic is terrible and people are dying. And that really sucks. But the two things to take away from these previous historical examples, which were also really awful events, is if we take the right approach, we can become stronger and better as a result of these events. And if we recognize that and are optimistic, it changes our outlook in the today, not just the future. And so we can become better and stronger and more able to handle the stress that life throws at us today. Well, I think that that is about the amount of time that we're allocating this today. Um, just want to thank everyone for tuning in and be on the lookout for more episodes in the future.